Well, good morning to you all. I said good morning. Oh, it's good to hear your voice. Let's pray. Lord, as we open the book, teach us and change us. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3. The title is, Speak, Lord, Your Servant is Listening. Uh, We kind of call this Game Gear Weekend. Uh, I don't like sports at all, but my wife does, and she forces me to watch these games and wear funky clothes. Uh, Some people think that, you know, sports can be idolatrous, and I get that. They're right. It really can be. But also a truck, a boat, a job, a garden can be idolatrous. Anything can. Now, I'm kind of of the persuasion of what the Apostle Paul said. He'll do anything to reach people by any means. And so, uh, for instance, when I got out of college, I volunteered as a chaplain to my old high school football team. They had a tragedy, and I heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit. I went to my old coach and asked him if I could be a chaplain. He said yes, and we figured it out. And every year, for about seven years, we'd see about half the football team pray to receive Christ. It was a great investment. And uh, so uh, I want to use this as a platform. It's just a fun thing. Now, you got your Bibles? Hold your Bibles up. Let me see them. Bring your Bibles. Okay. First Peter. First Peter. Wrong, wrong, wrong part of the book. First Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare. Everyone say rare. Rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. And it happened. At that time, as Eli was lying down in his place, his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well. And the lamp of God, everyone say lamp of God, had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, actually the tabernacle. The temple is a a stationary building. The tabernacle was a movable tent. You see the difference? Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. And the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But the old man said, I did not call. Go lie down. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel. So Samuel rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli said, I did not call you, my son. Go lie down again. Now verse Samuel, verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose, and he went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli finally discerned that it was the Lord calling him. So Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. It shall be if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. In verse 10, you ought to mark that in your Bible. It's phenomenal. Then the Lord came, he stood, and he called at other times saying, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Now, uh, am I stuck, boys? Let's see. I don't know that it's moving. Jeremy, did I do something? 
you have smart people in the back. That's what you do to help the dumb person on the stage. There you go. Now try. Well, we may let them do it manually for a little bit. The first crowd wore it out. So you want to do a... Okay, we'll just do this thing manually, okay? Everybody still here? You guys watching online? Vietnam, South America, wherever, okay? I'll do this and we advance. Go ahead. If we can. Or if not, I'll just do this. Okay. Okay, how many write notes to yourself? Do you write notes to yourself? I do too. If I, if I, think, I can't forget this meeting or I can't to do this. So I'll write notes myself next. And I even do this kind of thing. Back up just a minute. Let's get to get the joke. Uh, I have run out of gas. Have you guys run out of gas? I mean, it gets down to eighth of a tank, gets down to nothing, then, then a little yellow light comes on, says, idiot, idiot, idiot. And sometimes I still get diverted and don't do it, so I write myself a note like that. Thank you, thank you. Say, we love Angela. We do. That's right. You don't have to be smart to do this. You just have to have good people. So I know not only put notes like gas, Yesterday, somebody asked me to go help their family member that was not doing well, and I had a lot to do, so I wrote the family member's name on a napkin and taped it down too, and maybe you'll recognize this one. This is a different person. I wrote that down. I think if all of us put Anthony's name on a napkin and taped it to the dash, it would, he would be amazing. We could probably stand him. Well, I love that guy, so couldn't resist. So uh, you may think, well, shoot, uh, Pastor Steve, other people write my name down. The Lord Jesus wrote my name in his book, the Lamb's Book of Life, when I gave my heart to Jesus. Is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life? Hold your hand up. Is your name there? Amen. Well, guess what your pastor does? I may write your name down on a Burger King napkin and tape it to the dash of my car. If I want to pray for you, think of you, remember you. And, you know, I finally figured it out. You go through Burger King, you spend two bucks, you get a little old burger, but you get 38 napkins. What are you going to do with 38 napkins? They just fly out the car, they go everywhere. So I use them to write your names down and tape them to my dash. Sometimes I can't see the windshield, but that's okay. So yesterday... I'm on a prayer drive, hanging out with the Lord. I try to give him the best part of the day. I park on the side of the road, and I'm crying out to the Lord. You cry out to the Lord. I do every single day, multiple times a day. And yesterday, I had 13 concerns. I had 13 hard things that I didn't know how to fix. I didn't have a solution for them. I didn't know how to even get started on it. And so I could either be discouraged, but instead I took one of my Burger King napkins out and I wrote this down and I taped it to my dash. It's out there now. And I just said, Lord, speak to me. You know what needs to happen. I don't. You know everything, who, what, when, or how, and I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but I'm asking you to do that for me. So your pastor is asking you to do something. As a prayer, would you try this as an experiment? You can do it for 30, 60, do it for 90 days. It'll probably change your life. It'll make prayer much more simple and much more impactful. And I'll guarantee you, you will start hearing the voice of the Lord to your heart more than ever before. So write this, say it with me, please. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So let's try it together. 
Try together for 90 days. Now, let's get to the sermon now. Samuel was probably not a child when this happened. The word child is not there in the text. It is boy. And the word boy is the same word that's used for David as a teenager when he killed Goliath. So he's probably 13, 14, 15, maybe even 16 years of age. Now the scripture goes on to say in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And I try to ask myself, well, why would it be rare? Well, think with me. If a person doesn't want to hear from the Lord, if a city doesn't want to hear from the Lord, if people aren't going to obey the Lord, why would he speak? He's not going to waste his breath. Matter of fact, if he spoke and you didn't want it, it might make your heart harder. So he's not going to speak. Now, what we see in the text is something called the golden lampstand. Everyone say golden lampstand. And it's located in the holy place in the tabernacle. This is a movable tent. This is kind of what the tabernacle looked like. And uh, I want to describe two things. On one side, you have the holy place. Inside the holy place, you have the lampstand. You have the altar of incense, which is like our prayers that go up to heaven. Then we have the table of showbread, where Jesus is illustrated as the bread of life. Then you have this veil, this curtain, that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. The priest would go into the holy place every day. But he would only go into the Holy of Holies once a year on a particular day. What was that day? The Day of Atonement. And and the Lord would forgive the sins of the nation on that day. This is another view of what the tabernacle looked like. You see the veil back about two-thirds of the way back where the ark is and the other uh, implements inside the holy place. Now, this is a little map. This story takes place in chapter 3 in a place called Shiloh. Shiloh had been off limits for a long time, and the last time we were in Israel, I don't remember, three years ago, we got to go there. It was one of my bucket lists. I wanted to go and see the place where the tabernacle was. And as Samuel grew to be a man and stepped into his role as prophet and judge, He was the most influential man in the country for maybe 60 years. He operated out of this place, Ramah, or Ramah, right there. See it in the bottom? Now, the golden lampstand was filled with olive oil. It was replenished every single day. And the priest would light the golden lampstand at twilight, you know, when where twilight is, it's when day ends and the beginning of night comes. That is called twilight. Now, the golden lampstand was also called, in our culture today, the menorah. Everyone said together, the menorah. And so it would be lit at twilight, and it would go till the morning, till sunrise. Now, the text tells us something. The text tells us that God's whisper, God's voice, God's presence, God's still small voice spoke to this teenager right about dawn while the golden lampstand was still lit. Now there's a principle here I just want to encourage you with. Seeking God at the first part of the day is the number one way to make sure in your lifetime that God's voice is the loudest voice in your life. If you don't carve out time, you'll never learn to hear his voice. Now, I'm a morning person. You may be a night person. An hour of work in the morning between before noon is worth three hours in the afternoon for me. So my best moments are in the morning. 
You may be a night person. You come alive at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Well, whatever is your best time, carve out that time to be with him so you can hear his voice. Now, the menorah, I, I never even thought of this until this week. It is one of the most comprehensive symbols or pictures in all the Bible. Why do you say that? Because it was designed by the Creator Himself. And it tells a story. It has a meaning in it. And by the way, let's just count how many branches do you see in the menorah? Seven, thank you. Seven is a correct number. Seven is a prominent number. Now, starting off in the book of Revelation, where Jesus appeared in all his glory to the old man, John, he was told to write all these things down that we have in the book of Revelation. And in verse 13 of chapter 1, Jesus is seen walking among not one, not five, but seven golden lampstands. The picture is Jesus Christ is the light of the world. B, another picture. Just several verses further, there's a mystery that's unfolded that I don't even know if I can explain it. It pictures the lampstand as a symbol of the church. What do you mean the church? You and me. The church in Argentina, the church in Australia, the church in Chicago, the church in Japan, the body of Christ. In, in Greek in the New Testament, it's called ekklesia. Would you say that word with me? Ekklesia. And in Greek, it has a phenomenal meaning. What is it? It means the called out ones. When you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit was calling out to you. He wanted you to be distinct, one of a kind, a member of the royal priesthood of God. You live differently. You treat people differently. You love differently. You give differently. You keep integrity differently because you're one of the called out ones. Now here's part of the mystery. Verse 20. Jesus says to John, write this down, the mystery, everyone say mystery, of the seven stars in my right hand. Now see the painting? You see the seven stars in the right hand of Jesus? See them? And then the seven gold lampstands around him? He said the seven stars are, and there's several words for it. The Greek word is messenger. It can be translated angel, elder, pastor, leader of these seven churches. The, the, the meaning is we, Jesus is the light of the world, but also we are the light of the world too. Repeat this passage with me out loud, please. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Why are you on this planet? Jesus wants you to bring glory to him. Jesus wants you to serve him. Jesus wants you to help people every single day and bring glory to his name. Now here's another picture that we see in the lampstand, and that is the Holy Spirit is pictured too. He is called in Scripture the Spirit of Wisdom and the Spirit of Revelation, which means if you know anything good, he taught you. If you hear the voice of God, it's probably his voice. He is the one that brings fire and purity to your life and change forever. Here's a fourth picture. Psalm 119, it says this, The Bible is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Have you ever tried to get through a dark garage or dark air without light? It's difficult. The scripture is our light. Now, here's something I'd like to share that's very important. 
If you want to get into God's presence every day, so you can hear his voice, the quickest way to get into God's presence is through the word of God. It's been my practice for a long time, and it's really helped me. I get up, and I read the scriptures. I read them from front to back every single year. I mark. I take notes. I want the Holy Spirit to let the eternal word of God to go through my eyes, go through my head, go through my heart, go through my soul, and change me from the inside out. It changes the way I think. I can be completely discouraged before I start reading. Then I'm ready to tackle anything when I'm ready to stop. It changes the way we feel. It changes the way we live. And it changes the way we love. Sue and I, in a couple months, will be married 41 years. We're opposites. Praise God. I did good. Uh, she was kind of shaky with her deal. But the reason our marriage has gotten better every year, and we've had a lot of reasons not to, it was because we both seek God at the beginning of the day. When I'm close to Jesus, I love that woman with all my heart. I just do. It changes the way we love. Now, Here's a, something I'd never seen before this week. In Judaism, the seven branches of the menorah represent the seven feasts of the Old Testament. I grew up in church and knew nothing about the feasts, the holidays, the celebrations of the Jewish people in the Old Testament. Now, this replica of the original menorah is in a square outside the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It is protected, highly protected. It's got bulletproof glass around it. It's about as tall as I am. It's made from 95 pounds of 24-karat pure gold. The people that made it are the people of the Temple Institute. If you've never heard of that, It's dedicated Jews who have one goal. They are going to reconstruct at the right time the third temple. And uh, that will be in the third temple. Matter of fact, Scripture says the Antichrist one day will be in that third temple and declare himself to be God. So when you see construction, you got to realize Jesus is very, very, very close to coming back. Now, the seven branches represent the seven feasts, which represent, follow me, don't zone out, represent the ministry of Jesus. Now look at the chart. On the screen. On the left, you have spring holidays. You see the spring holidays? How many of them are there? How many? Four. Passover, first fruits, Pentecost, unleavened bread. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection fulfilled all four of those. The ones to the right are the celebrations for the fall. They prophesy about the return of Christ. And that is the Feast of Trumpets, Tabernacle, and the Day of Atonement. Let's go a little deeper. To give you some background, because of the falling away of the Jewish people, Jesus prophesied, O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You would not listen. You would not obey the Father. You chased other gods. You did away with the covenant. Therefore, the time will come, and they had almost 40 years of mercy, that not one stone 
will be left on top of each other. In 70 AD, this happened. About 500,000 Roman troops invaded Israel. They besieged the capital city. It took them five months to break through the walls. But when they did, it was really, really bad. The historian Josephus said the Romans killed around Jerusalem itself about 1.1 million people. 97,000 were hauled away as slaves. These were mainly young people under the age of 17. Everybody else were killed. The Romans took hundreds of these captives and put them in the Colosseum, the arena in Rome. I've never seen it. I want to see it one day. And they were killed by gladiators and wild beast. 700 of the Jewish prisoners were paraded down the main streets of Rome in celebration of the Roman victory. And this is kind of weird and strange. The menorah was taken to Rome and the table of showbread and they were paraded through the streets of Rome in front of the Roman general. This is a general, Titus. Now, in celebration of his great victory, this ark was constructed, and it's called Titus's Ark. I've never seen it. I want to see it. It's on my bucket list. By the way, history and the scripture goes hand in hand. On the side of this Arc de Triomphe is this relief, intricately carved. You notice what's right in the middle of it. You see it? What do you see? See the menorah. Now let's talk about the branches. Branch number one is a feast of Passover, which talked about the sacrifice of the Passover lamb Jesus Christ. Branch number two is the Feast of Unleavened Bread where Jesus was buried in the tomb, his death and burial. Branch number three, that's why I say every story is essentially about Jesus in the entire Bible. He's on every page if you know what to look for. Branch number three is the Feast of First Fruits. First fruits was a harvest in the spring that when the crops were harvested, the very first part of the crops were taken as an act of worship to the temple to to thank God for his goodness. The first things that came out of the ground. Jesus was the first of all his sons and daughters that came up out of the ground. Aren't you grateful for the resurrection? Say amen. Branch number four is Shavuot or Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost, which is a harvest feast, a celebration, the coming of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church. Branch number five is Feast of Trumpets. Well, what do you mean Feast of Trumpets? This gets exciting. This is when the king returns. And I wouldn't doubt if you took the segment of time of the year when these things happened, were celebrated 3,500 years ago, they point to when he will come back. Just, just a guess. Just a guess. Branch number six is the Day of Atonement. That's when there were two goats. One of the goats, the high priest would read the sins of the nation with his hands on the goat's head, and the sins were transferred from the people to the, what is the goat called? the scapegoat, and he's released into the wilderness. The same way, the sins of all of humanity were transferred upon the head of Jesus Christ on the cross, and he was abandoned by the Father at that moment. And then the middle branch points to the Feast of Tabernacles, and I don't know if this is not the most touching one. What do you mean, Feast of Tabernacles? It's where the Messiah, the conquering king, 
comes and lives forever with his people and dwells among them. There's a little clue in John chapter 1. You probably know the verse. The word became flesh and what? Dwelt. The word is actually tabernacled among us. Just awesome, incredible, beautiful. And, and then another picture, which is fascinating to me, is that the lampstand, the menorah, represents the presence of God himself. You see the Trinity in the menorah, the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Lord that filled the temple and the priest could not even stand as they dedicated the temple. Now, here's, here's a principle out of this, the presence of the Lord. Proximity, everyone say proximity, has everything to do with intimacy. So as you're learning to be a man or woman of prayer, it's about proximity. Now, this teenager was sleeping in the Holy of Holies, but the Ark of the Covenant was just feet away on the other side of the veil, okay? The presence of God would come to the ark. So this little fellow, this teenage boy, is sleeping on a blanket, carpet, or rug as close as he can get to the ark. That's what the text says. Now, I don't want to, this is not a real good comparison, but if you want to get close to the Lord, I just want to give you a warning. Pastor Will Stice's office is downstairs, but if you go down there and creep into the church and camp out on the floor by his office, I don't know that it'll really do you any good. When he comes in the morning, he'll probably trip on you and just spill his coffee on you and then fall on you. So just put that out of your head. Some of you are probably thinking that. But our goal is to get as close as we can because we want to hear his voice. I can't figure stuff out. He already has it figured out. I just need him to tell me what to do. Now, intimacy is about one thing. It's about connection. So, I want to ask you, as we're about to go on this journey of prayer, are you feeling pretty close to the Lord? Have you been close over the last six months, the last three months, the last month? Or have you been distant? It has nothing to do with him. It's about you. Do you want to be close? You can be as close as you want to be. And some people say, some per, a person even said this to me, I just wish the Lord would speak louder to me. If he spoke louder to me, I know I would get it. I go, oh, no, honey, you don't want him to speak louder. You do not want him to raise his voice. You do not want that. He is already speaking really, really, really loud. Matter of fact, could you go through the year we've gone through in our nation and not think God is not speaking? I think he's speaking very, very, very clearly. And you do not want him to use his outside voice. Because that's not going to go good. He is whispering, and you want him to whisper, not yell at you. He can do it if that's what you need. But I don't want him to yell. That's not good. That's not good at all. The issue is, will you and I carve out time? You've got 24 hours tomorrow. What are you going to do? What are you going to give it to? 24 hours tomorrow. You're going to carve out time because you want to be closer? Or are you going to give him no time? Another principle about drawing close. If you just show up, you show up, you make the time, to meet with God, 
you read the scriptures, you pray and worship. Read the scriptures, pray, worship, listen. Confess, intercede, make petition. If you show up, I'll make you a promise, he will show up. You may not recognize it initially, but he will show up. He said, if you draw near to me, I promise you, I will draw near to you. That's in James. But let me warn you, just because I hear the Lord's voice one way or Fontes one way or anybody else one way doesn't mean you're going to hear the voice the same way. Why? Because he deals differently with us. So don't tell him when you want him to talk. I, I, I never do that. I do what I do, then it's up to him. Don't tell him where you want him to meet you. Don't tell him why or don't tell him who or don't tell him how because that's none of your business. It makes it simple. My business is to draw near and to connect. And he can do whatever he wants to whenever he wants. I've even found with fasting, if I fast three days, a week, or longer, I may hear nothing during that time, but it may be months later that the miracle comes. He speaks differently for this reason. Because he's a good father. A good father doesn't work with his four children the same way. Every child is different. Every child, every person needs a different approach. It's based on maturity. You don't speak to a three-year-old the same way you do with a 25-year-old. It's based on your personality. Certain things would never get my attention because I'm just a big mule or buffalo or elephant. It just goes right over my head. So he speaks to me in ways I get it. And it's based on need. Is this helping you? Now, here's another puzzling thing in verse 7. It says clearly that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Does that seem kind of odd to you? You think about it, not really, because there was a time you didn't know the Lord. There was a time you were not listening. He had not had a personal encounter with him yet. Sometimes you can be raised in church and you went to church four times a week. You got to college and it was all theory because you never had an encounter with him. Going to church is good, but the encounter is what your children need and what you and I need. Another thing it says, the word of God had not been revealed to him yet. I don't even know what that means. My guess is it means something like this. The Holy Spirit had not yet reached out to him in a strong way because he wasn't ready for it. But here's a good point. Samuel was around the things of the Lord. Verse 1 says he was ministering to the Lord. He was involved in serving. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Now, you can't determine when your children or your grandchildren will have an encounter, but let me tell you what is good. Keep them around and in the things of the Lord. Don't give them an option. <laughs> Don't. Their spiritual walk is more important than anything else. My dad came back from World War II, and he was not a spiritual man. His father abandoned him, but he said to his sons, you guys are going to be in church, and I'm going to take you. And the church we grew up in was a little dead church offering very, very little. But I'm so glad my father said, you're going to be there Wednesdays. You're going to be there Sunday morning. You're going to be in Sunday school. You're going to go to... Fontes, stand up just for a minute. You're going to go to youth group. Yay! Say youth group. Yay! And you're going to Sunday night services. And there's no argument. By the way, get your kids in youth group. Get your kids on a mission trip as soon as you can get them. You cannot make them have an encounter, but you can cause things to happen around them so God can grab them. 
Don't listen to their excuses. It costs you two hamburgers. <laughs> so don't underestimate God's ability to grab your kids, even if they're 30. God still is going to get them. Verse 2 says, and it happened. And I was thinking about this yesterday. I was a teenager. When I first started hearing the voice of God, I was a teenager. I didn't know what it was. I was extremely unhappy. I was depressed. I was empty. And yet I was popular with a lot of friends. Do you know what it was? It was a voice of God stirring in my heart. And I didn't know what it was. And let me tell you this about the voice of the Lord. Rather than speaking to your audible ear, which would probably mess you up, you couldn't have it. It's a feeling that you should do something. It is a sense of God working in your life. How many of you have had that before? You got that sense. You feel this stirring. You have this feeling. That's the voice of the Lord. So after three tries, three times, the priest sends him back to his bed. Finally, 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 this fallen guy named Eli recognizes where there's only two mortals in here, and it's not me and it's not him. It's got to be the eternal one calling to the boy. And he said, the best counsel you can ever give anybody You can ever give a grandchild. You can ever give your best friend in high school. You can ever give one of your children when they're trying to figure life out. It's this. You go back to what you're doing. Go back to school. Go back to bed. Go back to work. Get back to your regular life. But if you feel the stirring, you feel the sense Then say back to him, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Would you say that with me, please? Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And then verse 10. Then the Lord came. And then he stood. The naked eye could not have seen him, but the heart knew he was there. He came, he stood, and he called just like he did the other three times. Worship team, you guys come on up in just a minute. So Samuel, as a teenager, received a calling. A mission and a purpose in one night. Do you realize people that you've given up on can be completely changed in one night? All because of the whisper. You say, well, wow, that'd be really cool. I'd like for God to give me a mission, a purpose, and an assignment all in one night. Well, he can do that, but I want to forewarn you it may not be easy or fun now every one of you people listening today and everybody in the room I just want to encourage you as a spiritual father God has a calling for you too if you want it the purpose of your life you could be age 80 or 65 or age 8 You have a calling, and you have a purpose, and it will change throughout your life, but it's to serve him, not yourself. If you're a teacher, you're a nurse, you're a welder, you work in a grocery store, you're a a farmer, whatever, you're, you're a football coach, God can use what you do 
to change thousands of lives if you will say yes to him. You don't want to get at the end of your life and have missed the reason why you were created. Well, how do I figure that out? We're telling you today how to figure it out. It's the whisper. It's the call. It's the it's the purpose. And I tell you, the nation of Israel was a mess for a long, long time. And this guy had the hardest job on the block, holding this entire nation together, and he did it. So I want to say it's about significance. Now, if you ask parents in a survey all over our nation this question, what do you want for your children? What would most American parents say they want for their children? What would they say? I want them to be happy. If your focus is raising happy children, you will have spoiled, selfish, arrogant brats. You will have a bag full of idiots instead of great children. Fontes made me say that. <laughs> Blame him. I didn't say that. What you want is for your children to make the hard choices, to live a life of service, of significance, of selflessness, of nobility, of honoring Christ and making people's lives better, all because they heard the whisper and they got the call. That's what you want. So if you learn the discipline of hearing God's voice and as you grow, he will speak to you not once a year, not every 10 years. You will get the nudges and prompts every single day of your life. Do this, call this person, help that person. And that discipline will lead you into discovering the good, pleasing and perfect will of God. That discipline of hearing the whisper will allow you to see spiritual appointments Jesus brought to you and show you what to do with them. Hearing that whisper will give you God-sized dreams that you could never think of yourself. And hearing the whisper you will have to start writing a journal every day of the amazing things God does in you and through you because you heard the whisper. Say that with me again, please. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. One more time. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Now I'm praying you all picked up one of the communion elements. As you came in, flip it over where you have the bread part. And I want to say, this is not a religious ceremony. This is not something we do in church. This is an act of healing. This is an act of surrender. This is an act of commitment. This is saying to the Holy One that has come to your tabernacle calling your name. Are you in or not? Take the bread out, please. Hold it in your hand. Jesus, thank you that your body was broken for our healing, for our freedom, and our significance. Take and eat as an act of dedication to his will. This is the blood of my covenant, my promise, my invitation to be a part of my family, forgiveness of your sins. Right now, as an act of worship, take and drink.
before we do this last song, there's a time of reflection. I want to say this altar is open and many of you need to do some business with God. Getting on my knees opens my spiritual eyes and my heart to Him. There's people on both sides that will pray for you. But this last part is the most important time. So as we worship, you come and do business with the Holy One.
through it all, through it all, it is well. And through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you, and it is well. It is well. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. Waves and wind still know his name, and it is well with my soul, and it is well. talked to me two hours, but he didn't tell me what to do about the Lord. I want to tell you how to clinch the deal. If you've never given your heart to Christ or you're a backslider, 
Pray this with me right where you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I'll let my life go. I give you every messy part of it. It's yours. Come inside and dwell in me and make me your child. Give me a home in heaven and I commit to serve you all the days of my life as you give me strength. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Slip out quietly. There's people doing business with the Lord. If you need prayer, there's people here to help you.